Welcome to The Conversation. This podcast is produced by QSource as part of Medicare's quality improvement organization efforts to share information, educate clinical staff, and encourage improvement through best practices. Each episode discusses a topic that is timely and applicable to you, your staff, and patients. In this episode, QSource Quality Improvement Advisor Kathy Ray hosts a conversation about innovative and unique telehealth opportunities taking place in rural communities in Indiana to expand access to care and disease management for senior and youth. Our guests today are Sarah Stiltz from Prime Movement Healthcare, who will share her insight about creating a virtual health clinic, and Elizabeth Sons from Managed Health Services, where she coordinates a school-based clinic and telehealth program. Our discussion is in partnership with Hoosier Health and Wellness, who is dedicated to decreasing social determinants of care and addressing health issues such as food insecurities, accessibility to care, and managing chronic diseases. Now, let's get the conversation started. So Sarah, let's begin our conversation with you. Share how we can learn more about diabetes telehealth options locally and in rural areas of Indiana and the importance this has on our community. Hi, Kathy, thanks for having us today. Um, diabetes prevention programs were typically uh, inpatient. They were either in network in a hospital or they were provided through your employer up until the pandemic. When, um, when the pandemic hit and hospitals had to close some of their, um, um, their extra programs or extracurricular programs, I suppose, like things that were not emergent, Many of them tried to pivot to telehealth. I don't know how successful they were. Some of the best resources I've found for finding a certified diabetes prevention program would be through the CDC's website. Uh, the CDC is the one who oversees the National Diabetes Prevention Program and um, make sure that we adhere to all of our standards, including becoming an MDPP supplier. So getting listed with Medicare as a supplier for the diabetes prevention program. You can look on the CDC's website and Look for a find a diabetes prevention program near you. Another great resource would be um, the ADCES should have a list of diabetes prevention programs. It used to be the AADE, but they've recently undergone a uh, new branding. And then the American Diabetes Association should have uh, a, a full list. But I feel like the best resources I've found have been through the CDC. There, there are resources available for people who are struggling with managing pre with managing not just their diabetes, but their pre-diabetic condition as well. Um, so there's tips on healthy eating, how to incorporate um, lifestyle changes into the program. And then it also, for the, from the provider standpoint, there are there's copious resources for helping us get a program off the ground. Um, we're actually listed with 211. So if someone was looking for a diabetes prevention program, they can get in touch with us either through 211 or right through our website with primemovement.org. Um, I feel like that there are fewer resources, unfortunately, in rural areas because, you know, I mean, typically people in rural areas don't have access to care. Um, it can be uh, more expensive for rural hospitals to provide this care. So it's kind of like, you know, what comes first, the chicken, the egg. You have to have the funds to provide the programs for the rural hospitals, but the rural hospitals have to have the funds for the patients coming in. And it's just... Um, Getting help to rural areas can be really tricky, which is where telehealth can come and in, can come into play. Um, there are some broadband issues there as well. 
but if we were to, let's say we were to establish a, a partnership with a rural hospital who needed support, we can actually provide them with tablets that can go out into the community um, and they would be able to access our patient portal and receive care either one-on-one -on -one or in a group setting. So there's always a way around solving a problem and it could be something as simple as um, the, the provider organization can, we can operate pretty nimbly or you know, we're a small scale operation, but um, staying lean has, has allowed us to survive the pandemic, but also grow and, and grow our team. Do you have any best practices since developing your, your organization and maybe some partnerships that you've developed in the community? Yes, um, I feel like what we did when we started off was, we started off primarily with self-pay because we got into telehealth very early, so like 2016. The usage data was so insignificant. I mean, there were so few people using telehealth when we got into it that I could not find data on the usage for it. Um, I mean, we're talking like 2% of the, of the US population was aware of telehealth when we got into it. And in 2018, it had only grown by a small percentage. So we were very early. Um, some of the best practices we did just to kind of help us survive is diabetes prevention programs don't typically give you access to your full patient health data. We actually incorporate um, something called an electronic health record system. It's called, it's called OnPatient that gives patients access to their full patient healthcare wallet so they can kind of see how their health is progressing from a holistic standpoint. Uh, for example, our EHR data can import information from Apple Health if the patient has an iPhone. So we can track in real time updates to their weight, um, updates to their blood pressure. If they have a new Apple Watch, we can track updates to their um, O2 sat rate. We can see the ECGs. The best practices, I would say, would be Oh, we've established partnerships with um, Indian Health Minority Coalition. We've been working with the state. Um, I'm a member of the American Heart Association, the advocacy group. Um, I'm, not, I'm on the Connexus Council. So we are looking to create pilot programs for business owners in the manufacturing industry. I've been involved with um, Clinical Translational Sciences Institute since the fall of 2019. And that's given me access to um, stakeholders across the state who are shaping the health policy on a, on a state level. Um, we are working on a partnership with um, Senior Home Companions, hopefully, so we can provide support care to the care teams that are going in to provide like the in-home treatment to people who are um, coming home from the hospital, uh, typically elderly care. And we are hoping to establish a partnership with a long-term care facility so that we can provide diabetes prevention programs to, uh, to people that need it, to, to the elder care folks. Now, I feel like the best practices, some of the things that we found were that one-on-one -on -one sessions don't always work the best when you're trying to scale a program. So what we did is instead of having a ton of people in a group, we kept the groups to no more than 10, and then we were running the groups on Zoom. We also incorporate um, a personalized exercise prescription program into our diabetes prevention program. So that's actually allowed our patients, instead of the, the, the I think the parameters for the CDC program is that um, people have to lose anywhere from five to 7% of their body weight. But 
in the long scheme of things, that's really not a lot of weight. I mean, when you're losing water weight over the next, over the first month and a half or so of you, of you training, of you starting an exercise program, you can lose four to 10 pounds of water weight. Um, most of our patients lost 30% or more. If they were needing to lose, you know, a significant amount of weight, you know, they weren't quite diabetic yet, but they were on that line. And we had quite a few people who were suffering complications from obesity. Um, so we see, we typically see a, a, sub, a substantial amount of weight loss because of the personalized approach to the exercise prescription. But we also incorporate um, something into our, it's a, it's a new patient kit where they're given access to um, their own smart body fat scale, blood pressure cuff, and depending on if they're in a diabetes prevention program or diabetes management, um, sometimes they're given um, a glucometer. Uh, when we build out our cardiac pulmonary rehab program, they'll be given a pulse oximeter. And then we can track their, um, we can track the data analytics in real time remotely. So instead of having a patient go and get weighed in at a, at a clinic and then at a typical diabetes prevention program, they can actually see how their health is improving over time through our patient portal, but they're given devices that they can use forever. That is incredible information. Can you quickly remind me how you bring it down to the community level for education and awareness? Sure. So we have, um, we offer a self-pay option. Um, to bring it down to the community, like, just to keep it very simple, people can actually sign up online. We wanted to make sure that we offered access to care to anyone. So if they're aware of our programs, getting the word out about our programs has maybe been um, just trying to cut through all of the, the sludge that's out there on the internet. But through our community partnerships, through 2 on one through talking to healthcare providers, community health workers, if um, if they come across someone who's looking for a diabetes prevention program, we'll get a referral in. We contact the patient. We find out if they have a referral from a healthcare provider or if they want to self-pay. And then um, with a few clicks of the mouse, they're enrolled and we send their patient kit out and then we start onboarding them into the program. I mean, your presentation just expands um, some basic information into more in-depth conversations and we would love to have you back and uh, talk further about this and get you integrated. So sure. we appreciate you. you, Sarah. Thank you. All right, we will now move on to our second presenter, Elizabeth, and talk with you about your um, expansion in telehealth in rural communities and your access to care. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much, um, Kathy, for having us um, and for really having these great conversations about social determinants of health. Um, I have a public health background, so it's super close to my heart, um, and I'm really, really excited to see all of the groups, especially here in Indiana, really start um, having these conversations about where all these needs lie, um, and I love that I can be a part of it, so thank you for having us. Um, so a little bit kind of about our approach to it, um, I think MHS is a little unique um, in that we are a Medicaid provider for Indiana. So we've been serving um, Hoosiers for over 25 years through Hoosier HealthWise, um, HIP, Hoosier Care Connect, um, through Marketplace with our Ambetter product, and most recently um, in Medicare with our AllWell product. Um, so we've been in the healthcare space for a long time, and I think it's kind of unique. You know, when you think about health insurance, you don't think about somebody out there in the community um, 
really doing programming and doing work. And I think that's what makes us special is that we do. Um, you know, we really understand that, um, you know, the way to cut healthcare costs and the way to um, make our communities healthier is really, you know, looking at that one person at a time and treating the whole health of the person, um, you know, because, and especially with our youth members, if we're, um, you know, touching on these health issues earlier um, and handing them where they are the majority of their time, which probably up until, you know, this year with COVID was at school, you know, kids spend, you know, eight, nine hours of their day at school. And so if we're able to have these partnerships with schools and be able to touch those youth members um, where there are, we're able to hopefully um, build some good habits, be able to work on treating these chronic conditions um, early in youth. And so hopefully we're making healthier adults and healthier communities. Um, and you're absolutely right. When it comes to rural areas, um, they're definitely underserved populations. I grew up in one. And so I know that, you know, when we got sick as kids, it was how sick are you? Because mom's going to have to take a whole day off because it's 30 minutes to the doctor and it's 30 minutes home. And, you know, it becomes an all day affair just to treat a strep throat or an ear infection or something that looked like pink eye, but turned out to be an allergy. And you wasted a whole day for something that a Claritin could have solved. So we really saw that issue in a lot of our rural communities and what a burden that access to care was for families. And so that made us start our telehealth program. Um, and so we started this program in 2016 and have since um, built four telehealth sites around Indiana. So we have our first one was in Elwood, Indiana. Um, and we also have one up in Valpo. We have one in Alexandria and our newest one is in Mooresville. So these partnerships with the schools not only are a really great way to do these telehealth programs, but they're great ways to build partnerships with school nurses. Um, they're great ways to put our programming into schools. I know you mentioned our adopt-a-school program um, in the intro, and that program is really great because it brings a lot of um, health and wellness programs to schools that, that may not be aware of, um, you know, about nutrition, about physical activity, really focusing a lot recently on social emotional learning, um, how really, you know, treating the mind is treating the whole body is treating all, all, all of your wellness. So um, these partnerships are really great in building all that, you know, kind of from the ground up um, and really looking at the WISC model from the CDC. So that's um, whole school, whole child, whole community. Um, and that's really key for us. You know, for starting in the school, we're able to touch all of those kids and we're able to build that, those, those programs and those healthy habits out to the community. Um, so the telehealth really is pretty simple. Um, a kiddo, you know, gets taken out of class, looks like Johnny may have pink eye. Um, he goes to see the school nurse and she's really the gatekeeper. You know, she's kind of in charge of the program. Um, so having that champion in the school and her or him, although normally it's a it's a lady, but having that champion there in the school is really key to make the program run successfully. Um, so she's going to say, yeah, I think Johnny probably needs to see our physician. Um, and she has all the equipment there that we've sponsored and covered the cost for for the school. So she's got a stethoscope. She's got an autoscope. Um, she can look in the eye and the ear. Um, even on the skin to diagnose some simple rashes. So she's got all the tools that she needs there to be able to show the practitioner on the other end what he needs to see to um, get a diagnosis. So she's going to give Johnny's mom a call and say, I got Johnny here. I think he might have pink eye. I'm going to set up a telehealth visit for him. 
mom's already signed a consent form. So all that's taken care of. Um, and she can call in and be a part of the visit or, you know, she can say, no, that's fine. Just follow up with me after um, she didn't have to leave work. So that's a big plus um, for her. So the school nurse is going to contact the physician, um, show him what he needs to see. He can say, yep, that's pink eye. I'm going to call a prescription in, make, you know, send him back to the office and let mom come pick him up. Or he can say, no, nope, I think it's just allergies. Let's get him back in class. So it's really keeping kids in school, you know, that that don't really need to be home. It's keeping parents at work and they don't have to leave and, you know, worry about transportation and worry about costs of leaving work and costs of gas and all that sort of thing to be able to, you know, take their kiddo to the doctor. And, you know, it's building those relationships too, where kids that don't have a medical home can see a physician there at school. Um, and we're hoping to continue to build on this um, for more chronic disease focused um, programs. It's really kind of been an acute care thing right now, but um, there are some other um, states that we are thinking about starting to mirror where they're using it for um, diabetes checks. They're using it for controlling asthma. They're using it for um, just those kind of chronic disease care management tools uh, and being able to connect those kids with um, dietitians and respiratory therapists and all those other practitioners while they're still at school. Um, so it's just a really great way, you know, to kind of take out those access to care barriers um, for those families, especially when they're in rural areas. Yeah, I can share that in one of our community coalitions, um, Elizabeth in the Randolph County area, we're meeting monthly and we have several school faculty that are attending our, our co coalition and finding that the school nurse's role is changing in the way that, you know, it's not just the child anymore. It is treating the family, right? And yeah. they've identified that, you know, when the grandparents are dropping the kids off or coming in, they have questions about their own health. They're finding and asking and reaching out for resources for their own diabetes or for their COPD management because they don't have access so they can't get in to see their physician. And, um, you know, we've identified in Randolph County that uh, the role of the school nurse is um, developing so quickly that she or he or the school system is, is looking for community support. And um, one of the areas that they've identified is um, having school fairs, but not only for the kiddos, but for the grandparents that are raising their grandchildren. Having that information available um, to connect that grandparent with their own service um, needs. Um, they're doing a third grade mental health field trip. Not only are the third graders going to see the history of the town, but they are going to be visiting and having a mental health connection and having that field trip and what that looks like for them. So you're absolutely right. It's expanding. Um, the ideas are just kind of formulating based on what the each community is seeing right now. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, that's amazing to hear. Um, and it sounds like, you know, some of those districts in Randolph County are so lucky to have a school nurse. Mm -hmm. and that's where we have to start with a lot of schools is they're having an office staff, you know, give kids medication and call parents and, you know, things like that. And, and that role 
having that certified, you know, actual nurse is so critical. So that that's kind of, you know, where we can hopefully start and getting some access to care points. But yeah, it's definitely grandparents. It's definitely um, aunts, uncles, and those school nurses that that we see are collecting clothes and giving them out. They're, you know, finding resources to food pantries. They're, um, one of our programs is crisis text line. So a kid can, um, you know, just text someone if they're having an issue or, you know, feeling unsafe or, or having, you know, just just some mental situations that they need to work through. And, you know, kids are much more likely to get on their phone and text someone than, you know, tell a parent or make a phone call or anything like that. So um, they found that resource to be really useful for students that they see. So yeah, that school nurse is so much more than, you know, handing out band-aids and, and things like that. So we really value them and value those partnerships. And I think we're able to do, and now are trying to hopefully get back to doing soon. And school is such a hub for that. Um, you know, everybody knows where the school is. Everybody goes there for football games or basketball games or what have you. And having um, that be the hub for a resource fair where, you know, some of these um, FQHC or federally qualified health centers are really getting into having mobile units. So they'll be able to bring out their mobile van and give well check visits and immunizations and um, you know, even for adults, be able to give adult care, you know, right there on site at the school. At the same time, their kids are signing up for um, library cards and after school programs and different clubs and playing games and having a snack. And so being able to do those those sorts of community events, I think, are just so key um, and in bringing everybody together, just like you said. I think everybody has such such great ideas, you know, just like Sarah was talking about all these great um, ideas for how to really connect with diabetic care. And I think is wonderful and stuff, you know, I definitely didn't know. And so being able to do what you guys are doing and bringing these folks together in these coalitions, I think really makes a big difference. Right. And connecting the dots and getting the resources available uh, where they need to be on that grassroots, uh, on that grassroots level. Thank you for joining the conversation. If you found this conversation of interest, we encourage you to join the conversation by visiting us online at qsource.org slash conversation podcast. This conversation was produced by QSource, the Quality Innovation Network Quality Improvement Organization for Indiana under a contract with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Content does not necessarily reflect CMS policy.